0: Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Rea. It's business, but it's personal. The big bad sound of Howlin' Wolf with Smoke Stack Lightning. Fantastic way to kick off the programme here. Hello, I'm Elliot Moss and this is Jazz Shapers. The place where you can hear the very best of the people who are shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul. Alongside their equivalents in the world of business. A business shaper. Someone who is and has been really shaking things up in the world of business. I'm very pleased to say my business shaper today is Rob Sonning. He's the co-founder of the property business called London Newcastle. You may not have heard of them, but you will. Will have no doubt walked past or or been in one of their beautiful constructed buildings around London and in other parts of the, of the country as well. And you may have even been lucky enough to see some of the art that they curate. Really interesting stuff you're going to be hearing from Rob very, very shortly. In addition to hearing from Rob, you're hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea. Some words of advice for your business. And, of course, I promised you some great music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul, including Dee, Dee Bridgewater, new music from Ira Hill, and this from the one and only Ella Fitzgerald. Summer journeys to Niagara and to other places Aggravate all our cares, we'll save our fares I've a cosy little flat in what is known as Old Manhattan Ella Fitzgerald with the beautiful and mellifluous Manhattan. Rob Sonning is my business shaper here on Jazz Shapers. He's the co-founder of London Newcastle. They create beautiful spaces for people to live in, not just the bits where you actually put your head down in the evening, but also the surround, the stuff that you come from the street and, and into. Rob, thank you so much for joining me. You set up the business 20 years ago, around 1995, with your partner David. Just in, in a nutshell, give give everyone listening a sense of the kind of thing that you do. Well, basically,
1: we develop the smaller developments. Um, we're quite kind of anti-house builder, so we put a lot of effort into kind of design. We collaborate with a lot of people from the design industry, art, architecture, and kind of that's how we made our name, with the smaller, kind of more creative developments for people who come from creative industries and don't really want to live in run-of-the-mill development so we kind of at a very early age we spotted a gap in the market and we we took advantage of that and I think we were quite fortunate because we kind of both had a real interest in the creative industries and 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 we saw that there was actually a gap in an industry we we found ourselves operating in which was actually really uncreative so for, for us it didn't didn't seem to be that difficult to do. Well, I was going to say the
0: property world is full of people who, um, as you said, want to build, want to make a buck and want to get out. They're not really that interested in placemaking. They're not that interested in... What does the person feel? I'm not. I mean, this is a um, it's a big statement to make. Of course, many people are. But your your give me a couple of examples of the sorts of buildings that that people may or may not know, but might know.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I I guess probably one of the the buildings we we built we're most proud of is the um, Henson Building on Camden Lot, which was actually the old Jim Henson Muppet Factory, and that was a really interesting building because it was in a yeah, you know, in a really creative area. It was you know fronting onto the the, the canal on Camden Lock, um, so it was bristling with activity and and creativity. And um, we basically we converted that into I think 46 apartments. But it was quite challenging because we had to keep the original facade facing on onto the canal. So that was a great project for us to do because it was a a very old traditional kind of London warehouse. There weren't many left at the time, and it it gave us this kind of this platform to kind of really create lateral open plan living for people we really wanted to cater for so that was a great project for us to do and we really enjoyed that stay with me
0: to find out a lot more about why rob sonning and his partner david barnett have been so successful time for some music and this is ira hill i promise you new music and it is and it's afro blue
2: (laughs)
1: The night afro
0: New music from Ira Hill, and that's Afro Blue. Hope you liked it. I did. Rob Sonning's my business shaper today, co-founder of London Newcastle. They create beautiful, beautiful properties for people, as Rob was saying, in the creative industries, um, which was then and still is a bit of a gap, because not everyone can do that uh, uh, for lots of reasons. Rob, if you cast your mind back 20 years to when you were a very young man, because obviously he's very young still... What was the impetus behind setting up this business? Um, Was it because simply there was a gap and then you you happened to know David? How did the thing come about?
1: Well, um, we kind of both went into the industry really early. I left school at 16 and my father was in, in the industry and he was quite an inspirational figure so I knew in some way I, I would be following him and he, he was in the commercial sector of real estate and I, and I tried that and I didn't like it and then I went into residential and I really enjoyed that because I like people and I like going into people's houses and seeing how they lived and all of the wonderful bits and pieces like that so that's how I got into the business and then I met David my partner who was also an estate agent and we always kind of knew that we wanted to move on from the agency side of the business and do something on our own. I mean, we definitely cut from the same cloth. We had the same interests. We we knew um, some of the same people. We admired some of the same people in our industries and others. And so we, we basically left agency after about doing seven years. We set up our own company and we started doing single units. Then I think we kind of took advantage of the office crash, I think in the late 80s, early 90s and and at the time um, we we were lucky because we managed to get some backing from some private individuals, they would put the equity in, we would raise the bank debt we would manage the property and then we would split the profits 50-50, so we took advantage of the um, office industry at the time because uh, there was this recession going on and um, we began to buy pubs and office buildings and very quickly get planning permission to convert them into residential and it kind of just really grew from there and then at that period of time we we began to bring people into the industry who wouldn't normally operate so we'd bring designers in artists in and we started creating these kind of really interesting apartments um, which began to get recognised within the industry and, and slowly from from there we got some recognition as being a little bit different and um, and it just really grew from there. You mentioned your dad being an inspirational figure and yeah, and, you're, and,
0: and he is a, a well-known guy, has been for many years in the property world. Is it hard following in someone's footsteps who's done extremely well? Would it have been easier if, you, if no one had known him and, and he wasn't in it or in a way would any of this have happened right in the beginning? Would you have even known about the property world? I mean, it's a, probably a bit of a
1: double-edged sword, isn't it? Well, it's a, it's a difficult question. Of course it was hard at the beginning because everyone knew him and, you know, I was son of Harvey. But I got used to that pretty quickly. You know, I was brought up in, in an environment which was very... Um, it was stable. He gave me a really, really stable background and, and platform to move forward. I left school pretty early because I was you know I was quite dyslexic so my um, educational options were limited so I was kind of forced into uh, leaving school early but no I mean very very quickly he became an inspiration to me and I I didn't see it as a disadvantage it became annoying at times but then I I guess what it did do is it it gave me a, a huge appetite to become successful in my own right and so that's why I kind of almost went into the residential part of the industry rather than the commercial part, because it, it gave a boundary between myself and, and my, my legacy, if you like. Stay with me to find out much more from my great guest, Rob Sonning.
0: Latest travel in a couple of minutes, and before that I promise you some words of wisdom for your business, and they're coming up right now, and they're courtesy of Mishkon Durea.
2: My name's Jonathan Berman. I'm a partner in the corporate department at Mishcon de Durea. We spent a lot of time in our department dealing with people who are establishing new joint ventures. When we look at these relationships, they are much, much more likely to succeed. Eve, the participants have been through a process before they actually start working together. And it's the process rather than the documentation that's critical. And what they do is to address issues that they would generally feel uncomfortable about discussing with one another. The rationale is they want to get on with it, and they've got a good feeling about working together. And by asking difficult questions, it, in their mind, could endanger that good feeling. But that's the wrong way of going about it. And I'll give you a couple of examples of the types of things they should be thinking about. The first is, are we looking to maintain this business as a going concern under our ownership for the foreseeable future? Or are we establishing it with a view to building it up over three years and selling it? If one's got one view, one's got the other, it leads to huge disagreement and it's one of the biggest reasons for businesses failing. The second is, what's the business intended to do? What is our vision? Is our vision joint? Do we go into the UK or are we looking to expand into Germany? Are we going into America? Are we focusing on one business, product or service or are we expend- expecting to expand beyond that? Again, having a business plan and sitting there and considering exactly how the business is intended to grow over the next few years is vital title
0: jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with Rea. it's business but it's personal you're listening to jazz shapers and what i hope is a very peaceful and restful boxing day here at, right at the back end of 2015 um, my business shaper today the last one of the year is rob sonning we've left the best till last i so quickly add so he doesn't feel uh, hard done but i'm sure he won't um if you want to listen to uh, this program in 2016 the good news is as you probably know you will be we'll be here every saturday 9am with some phenomenal guests some new features as well featuring some young entrepreneurs featuring some entrepreneurs you've heard over the last few years as well as a live event all being well in 2016 So, Rob, we were talking earlier about how you got into the business. You were very honest. You said, you know, you left school at 16. At that point, and it's probably different now when you're a dyslexic kid, people assume you're stupid and you can't do it, whereas the opposite is almost every time true. And I assume now that a 16-year-old will have a better time through school than you you may well have done. You talked about your dad. You also mentioned David. And I want to ask you about partnership because here you are 20 years later. The business has gone through a number of things, and it's doing extremely well now. It's had its bump post the the financial crash, which I want to talk about as well, back in two thousand. 2008
1: if you had partnered up with someone else do you think you and i would be having this conversation now probably not actually i mean david's been my partner i think now for well over 20 years and and um we just work fantastically well together i think like all good partnerships you know you play on your strong points and your weak points and and i have my part of the business to run he has his and then top line we we make all the decisions but i i admire david his work ethics uh his principles as a businessman and a partner, um, I cannot fault, and I've loved every minute of it, and, and we support each other from a business point of view, but also um, we're kind of brothers as well. We, as you pointed out before, we've been through a lot. A lot of good times and a lot of bad times and he's like a brother to me and it, it's been fantastic and i have a tremendous amount of respect for him as a as a human being and as a, as a businessman so yeah. you know that's a can't really give him a better reference than that can i was I was gonna say i hope he's not thank listening me. you won't be able to yeah. get out
0: the door i mean but you obviously do that partnership is critical and, and we've both mentioned it just tell me the business was doing really well all sorts of interesting things happen behind the scenes and then the financial crash happens the banks start to call in their debt you're in a bit of a pickle at that yeah, point. And yeah.
1: how, how did you get through that period from 2008 to now, just yeah, in terms of... okay. Well, it was a things. bit more complicated than that. I, I, I mean, so basically picking up from what we were talking about before, so we, we started doing the bigger schemes, we started getting um, the recognition as a um, kind of boutique developer, and we had this... Following, we had this brand, and we were, you know, developing bigger buildings, and and we were attracting um, attention from bigger organisations and bigger banks. So then, I think two oh six, we basically sold sixty percent of the company to a bank, and we went on this tremendous spending spree, where we were just buying um, sites in in parts of London we felt we could operate in. And we we kind of knew, I think it was about 207 now, you know, we had a huge land bank, we were in planning permissions, we were developing and, you know, things were looking good. But we we knew the market was kind of near the top and, um, you know, and then then I think it was Northern Rock, then Bear Stearns and and, and then I think things began to get a little bit serious and we, we kind of thought you know th- this could really have a, a humongous effect on on everyone and um and i think at that stage we just raised another bank fund um for a lot of money on the basis that it was the top end of the market and um we were going to take advantage of that i mean we we grew up in an environment where on a good market you you earn a good living but on a bad market you can really make some money so at the time we were quite excited about potentially what we could we could do with this Pending recession But it was, wasn't in our Business plan that our bank would go bust in, in fact actually one of the reasons we went Into business with them is because we Thought that when something like this happened We would be safe But you know obviously no one knew That we were on the brink of a a recession on a scale and a size I, I hope and, and don't think we'll ever see again. So, from um, having a well a development programme of hundreds of millions of pounds at the time, all of a sudden having the lights switched off overnight was you know it was a very very difficult period of time
0: and we're going to hold you there because i want to find i want to we're going to talk about how you dealt with that because that is it's a it's a lot to take in at that point for any business um and indeed it was for yours too but the good news is he's more than still here and that business is thriving so you're going to find out just how they got through it time for some music and this is a christmas present from dominic to me thank you slightly late it's a day late i can't believe it it is the cat from my favorite artist of all time mr jimmy smith was, in all his glory, the cat from Jimmy Smith. Um, he's fantastic. I hope you agree. And if you don't, sorry. Rob, you described very articulately exactly what was going on and you happened, to, as you said, you backed the bank that went bust. It happened. They weren't the only bank in town. There were lots around the world. How did you get through that? I don't mean technically, but just the two of you as partners and the business, because you have not just recovered, you've flourished. What was it in your DNA and your attitude that enabled you to kind of work through those next year and two years and so on? What do you think ensured more than your survival
1: what ensured in, the kind of ongoing uh, success and reputation that you have built? I think first of all it was a very difficult period of time and I suppose it was very much a, a case of you know crack on or crack up and, and we essentially could have walked away from the business and we could have um, returned the keys to the bank as such but you know we're, we're young we're, we're ambitious um, I don't play golf I have got a boat and we wanted to leave, leave a legacy, and the options were to walk away or face it and fight. And that's exactly what we did. And um, we formed a very close relationship with the um, people who were responsible for uh, examining our business, looking at our business, and deciding whether they would back it as a bank in a very different setup or put it down. And, and we built a close relationship with them over that year. And um, what what we learned from them was um, that, you know, hard work, good management and honesty count for everything. And that's exactly what we did. And a part of the bank which was dealing with, with, with us at that time restructured. And then we, re, we, we restructured with them, which was, you know, a, a great thing for us because it gave us another... Bite at the cherry if you like, and then um, from then onwards, we, we move forward and we, re- we recovered pretty quickly. And we definitely were well under pressure, very much so.
0: Stay with me for my final chat with Rob and um, also hear a track from Dee Dee Bridgewater. That's after the latest traffic and travel. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mish Rea. It's business, but it's personal. <laughs> little bee 's poem from DD Dee Dee Bridgewater Rob Sonning is with me just for a few more precious minutes and you very articulately explain why you you know you didn't hand the keys back you as you said you stood there and you fought and I think people sometimes forget how much you have to fight and actually if the fight's worth it, the other side is phenomenal and I think the last seven years you know tell me in a, in a nutshell what happened you obviously you kept the business more than that you 've now got confidence came back the money was underpinned. Going
1: forward, what's it, what's it been like since then? It's been an unbelievable journey, actually, because a- actually the nature of my industry changed when we came through it. So we, myself and David, very rea- very quickly realised that if we wanted to, to survive and move forward and thrive, we had to change the way we, we were doing business. I mean, we simply could not go around buying sites in london anymore for a number of reasons number one um the bank debt wasn't there uh and number two um even if it was we would have been outbidded by other people with other money from other countries with other um long-term ambitions so we very very quickly realized um that we had to change our business and we did that and and um uh, we became development managers. We formed jVs with construction companies and um, we we started looking at you know, framework deals with local authorities and We kind of moved out of zone one and, and actually most of zone two and we started operating in different ways in in, in different parts of london and and I think that was pivotal to, to our success, very quickly understanding that if we wanted to continue and be successful in this industry, then we would have to kind of, you know, move our cheese, if if you like. And, and that's what we did. And, and it's just gone from strength to strength from there. It's still really difficult. You know, we're faced with all sorts of challenges every day, but we've got a huge um, development pipeline on the girt at the moment. And, um, you know, we, we've got millions of square feet in planning or under development for either ourselves or or our development partners and um, you know we're we're achieving everything we wanted to three four years ago when we had to restructure you know not just the business but you know our lives really. But that reinvention what's really interesting
0: about that and it is as you said you kind of did have to move the cheese Mm. you've also kept true to your values around creativity and around placemaking because uh, talk to me just very briefly about the arts program I mean you have got behind people who are creating or involved in the arts in a way that most
1: developers don't yeah i mean you know we're we're really fortunate because i suppose from early years right from the beginning you know in our social lives we, we always had the benefit of mixing with really creative people um so that definitely gave us the edge in in really quite i think i said before a really uncreative industry but from, from the art programme point of view, we've always had a massive interest in art. You know, we, we kind of collect a little bit of art ourselves and, you know, we've got all these spaces which are sitting there doing nothing while they're going through the planning process. Why don't we put them to good use? And that's what we do. So we created a arts programme for our for our meanwhile use in buildings which were sitting there and um, we've been very successful at doing that and, and we've enjoyed it immensely, we've got a really successful art gallery in Shoreditch which has um, been there for seven years now and that's kind of I believe it's one of the best art galleries in East London at the moment, if not the best we have a rolling programme there and, and the whole idea of this art space is that we give space to young up and coming curators and artists who normally wouldn't be able to afford to exhibit on, on a platform. So essentially speaking, we're, we're sponsoring them, we're um, connecting to the local community, and we're just staying in touch with you know, the street, which is really important for what we do. And that kind of brings some real colour to, to what we do. Um, that's the side of the business which I love with a passion. And um, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's, it's colourful, it's great, it's a beautiful thing to be involved in, and, um, and we'll, we will continue to do that. Well, listen, Rob, I
0: mean, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. You've got a creative take on what, as you said, has been an uncreative business, and yet you have still a very, very strong business, and you're doing great things as well in the arts. It's, it's really good to hear all of those things. Just before I let you go, tell me about your song, choice. What is it, and why have
1: you chosen it? Green Onion, Dave Cortez, um, grew up on that song. Um, I went to school in Brighton at the time, and it was the anthem for the mod movement, and... I just loved it and uh, it's stuck with me since then and I continue to listen to it every now and again. Well, you're going to get to hear it right now. Thank you so much.
0: Green Onions from Dave Baby Cortez, the song choice of my business shaper today, Rob Sonning. What a refreshingly honest man, someone who really didn't blanch from saying it just how it was. And boy, have they been through some stuff and come out the other side. Utterly passionate about the property world and his own take, along with his partner's David's take on it. A different take, a more creative take. And indeed... This is a person, Rob Sonning, who is incredibly creative, someone who loves it and is sponsoring it and is making sure that art has a voice, and that's great. Fantastic stuff overall. Do join me again, same time, same place. It'll actually be in 2016, January the 2nd. Make sure it's in your diary. Right now, though, stay with us here on Jazz FM because coming up next is a two-hour special where Nigel Williams looks back at the very best moments, a two-hour special indeed, from Love Supreme back in the summer. It just bids me, before I let you go, to wish you a very happy and healthy New Year. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal.